Good evening, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson coming to you once again with another episode of Kirk, Your Enthusiasm. Now, tonight I'm basically doing a solo pod. My only guest is my dog, Huck, who is across the room eating a uh, treat. I suppose he will probably come and bark at me at some point during the episode because he'll think that I'm talking to him. Uh, With three days in between games, I didn't want to go that long without doing a pod. You know, I just like talking and thinking about the Mavs. So today and last night, I decided that I was going to do a uh, mailbag. So I asked for some of your questions today on Twitter and got, you know, a number of good ones. So we'll see how many I can get through. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little Mavs today. All right. At Timothy Huang asks, thoughts on Ryan Brokoff and his shooting ability? How do you think he could get more playing time? And how do you think he would play alongside Luca, considering his shooting ability? Also, Timothy, sorry if I butchered your name. I'm bad at uh, pronouncing basic words, let alone names. Um, Brokoff is an interesting piece because he is an unbelievable shooter. And, you know, when we were thinking about this team coming into the season, I think one of the you know thoughts was that they simply weren't going to have enough shooting outside of Luca and KP and, and Seth Curry. That has not been the case through a number of games. The Mavs are shooting the three ball, you know, fairly well. uh, And, you know, Brokoff just really hasn't been needed. Offense is not the Mavericks' problem. And until it becomes the Mavericks' problem, I don't expect Brokoff to really see much playing time. Uh, Carlisle has things about players. I think that he doesn't want... You know, Brokoff is is not known for defense. He's a hustle player. He's a great shooter. And, you know, putting him in and adding offense to, you know, the the already potent offense is something that I would like to see, but it's not something I necessarily expect the uh, the Mavericks to actually do unless, you know, they run into some injury concerns. And, you know, it's a long season. That's why you've got 15 guys on the roster, plus two-way contracts, plus things like that. So, you know, we'll see about Brokoff. He's my son's favorite player, and, and you know, so I would personally like to see him play a little bit. He's a real nice guy. He, he is a fun shooter, too, because his form is just breathtaking. All right, next question. At the McSwag asks, if the Mavericks are still flirting with the top four seed come trade deadline time, does Cuban make a move? If so, who is most likely and who would you want? Oh, man, this is tough. Uh, full disclosure, I'm not really a good trade pieces guy. The trade for Rajon Rondo uh, in 2015 really broke me. Um, it was a bad idea at the time. And, you know, the Maverick offense at that point was putting up historical numbers. And what does that sound like? That sounds like the current Maverick offense. So I'm a little reluctant to want to change at the moment. I don't know what's really going to push them over the edge. Uh, In my opinion right now, the top teams in the league in this specific order are Milwaukee, are the Clippers, and then the Lakers. And then, you know, I I think the Mavericks are kind of firmly in the tier below the contending teams. Now, with so many, you know, guys that are injured, you know, the the Currys, the Durants, uh, Clay Thompson – If there was a year to go for it, this really might be the year because you never know when the West might get healthy, as we saw with the Kings uh, just last night. There's so many talented teams in the league, talented players, and you don't want to let opportunities pass you by. That said, I just don't know who is really going to be available that would make a difference. The Mavericks really need another wing player that 
is really talented and could help defend and then help shoot the three. I know there's a lot of people out there that are kind of quaking for uh, quaking for Andre Godala, but I his shot is broken to me. He's also got a lot of minutes. I don't really see what he brings outside of veteran savvy. Uh, and, you know, that's important, but the Mavericks are in a pretty good place right now with the roster. And so I, I, I just am really curious about what opportunities will present themselves because there's always something. And frankly, you know, I think the Mavericks are are essentially, you know, like I think they might be a destination team at some point. So, you know, you never know where players might want to be traded to. So that's really something to keep an eye on. I'm not – I wish I had a better answer for you. You know, Dalton Trigg is really good at this stuff. He really, like, likes thinking outside the box for over at uh, DallasBasketball.com. And for us, you know, uh, at Mavs Moneyball, Josh Bow, you know, has some pretty good ideas, but we're all just a little reluctant. We've talked about it in our Slack. It's something that I'm going to be interested to see where the team progresses because it, you don't want to let an opportunity pass you by, but you also don't want to blow up a good thing. And the Mavericks right now are a good thing. Uh, at Blake Stakes asks, should J.J. Barea be considered for Defensive Player of the Year after shutting down Harrison Barnes in the fourth quarter against the Kings? Fantastic question. I'm not sure if anyone or everybody caught it, but uh, Brad Townsend of the Dallas Morning News about three days ago tweeted out uh, J.J. Barea guarding Kristaps uh, Porzingis out along, you know, on a post-up. And it was really interesting because I was, you know, kind of complaining about the fact that, you know, of course, uh, Porzingis, you know, posts up Barea and gets stripped, which, you know, is just kind of one of my bugaboos at the moment. But to see him do that against Harrison Barnes repeatedly was really, really amusing. And was I, I hope Mavericks fans who were super into Barnes the last several years can understand why Mavericks had to move on from him. He is a talented player, a good guy, but he is just missing that something that makes him the guy that teams use him as. You know, as, as the Mavericks... You know, the fact that he posted up JJ like four times, five times, I think, and wasn't able to score once, like, he shouldn't post up like that anymore. That's bad. There's no other way around it. As for Berea, that was really outstanding and a pretty good reminder of of just how off-kilter he can make teams that, that are playing against the Mavericks because they're just not ready for him. You know, who I, I certainly didn't think he would be as effective as he's been, even though he's just playing spot minutes. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, at Michael the Way asks... The Mavericks defense is one of the worst in the league at generating turnovers. What can be done to improve it? <clears throat> so this is a scheme-based question. And I'm going to be honest, I, you know, back in my playing days, I knew a lot about defensive coverages and ideas and where things are going or where things were going. But when I played basketball, the pick and roll wasn't near as prevalent. And so I just don't know as much about it. The Mavericks have a very conservative defensive scheme. I think that's for a couple of reasons. The first is that they don't have a lot of top-tier athletes uh, on the wing. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith is a really good defensive stopper, but after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. is playing really good defense, but that's not something he's known for. Porzingis is obviously pretty good at the rim, but past you know that and DeLon Wright uh, to a lesser extent, there's just nobody who... You know, the team is a, is a defensive unit. They want to be a little more conservative because they don't want to give up easy looks. Now... That, it seems to be, there's just the occasional game where that's what they give up. 
Uh, I think the conservative scheme that they're running, particularly where on pick and rolls, the guy who is guarding the screener drops back and the uh, man who's guarding the ball handler has to go over the top of the screen. That's resulted in a lot of open jumpers this year. As far as generating turnovers, I don't think that's their intent because I, I think the Mavericks are much more concerned about securing the rebound, which they've actually been a lot better than I would have thought considering the personnel that they have. Obviously, that's led by Luka Doncic, but Porzingis has been a better rebounder than he was at any point with the Knicks, and that is is really helpful. Uh, all the rest of the Mavs seem to have really you know, taken the concept of rebounding to heart, and there have been very few games so far this season where Dallas has absolutely gotten killed on the boards. Okay, uh, at... I'm going to butcher this one. I'm sorry, my man. At Istok... Uh, underscore Franco. Uh, he asks for basically, you know, power rankings within the Mavericks organization. Who's the most important piece, and like, how would how would I rank them? Uh, who? Man, this is gonna sound nuts. I, man, maybe it won't. The answer is Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is the most important part of the Mavericks organization right now. Um, franchise players are. There are 10 of them in the entire league, and Luka's one of them. And so when there's 30 franchises and 10 franchise-quality players, that basically means in terms of the Mavericks organization, he's number one. Number two is is really a kind of philosophy thing, what you value as a, as a, as a person. I, I'm going to have to settle with Rick Carlisle. Uh, just because from the game to game types things, the Rick's ability to adapt over the years has really impressed me. I know a lot of the fan base is probably, you know, they, they grow tired of him at moments, but Rick is just really good at his job. Uh, he's the fact that he's loosened up a little bit with Luca is really a testament to his ability to lighten up. Um, you know, the Mavericks probably shouldn't ever have too many, you know, rookie players just because he's very demanding. But in terms of the team that they have now, which is an ascendant team with championship hopes, there is no one else in the league right now that I think would be a better coach for for Luka and, and the Mavericks. So he's probably number two. But Donnie Nelson would make a strong kind of 2B. Um, when Donnie Nelson is has the opportunity to do his job, whenever uh, owner Mark Cuban isn't is willing to kind of let his experts be experts. Donnie Nelson has proven time and again that he's one of the best assessors of talent in NBA history from the GM position. Uh, to us, obviously, you know, Luca was a little bit of a no-brainer, but the fact that four other GMs were willing to let Luca go is, you know, just a reminder that, that, you know, Donnie really knows what he's talking about. You know, if you go back and there's all sorts of historical stuff about the Maverick scouting of, of uh, Dirk Nowitzki and on Bill Simmons book of basketball 2.0 podcast, uh, Bill Simmons and Mark Stein really get into some of what happened with Dirk, uh, you know, leading up to the draft. And it was stuff that I've honestly never heard before. And, you know, being able to know and being confident in, you know, a player like Dirk then really speaks to his ability to be a forward thinker. And the fact that, you know, the Mavericks, not just Cuba or not just uh, Rick Carlisle, you know, that Nelson and, and the rest of the front office realized how valuable Luka Doncic was going to be is really, you know, 
it's forward thinking and, you know, not a lot of NBA teams are, are, are forward thinking. And, and that's, you know, something I think we have to, to, um, you know, to, you know, praise a little bit last, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of other people, obviously I really like Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban's been in my life since I was a sophomore in high school. Um, some of the things over the years have driven me crazy, but you know, he's really a pioneer in the big picture, the way the the way the referees do their jobs now, the way they're scrutinized, the way the refereeing has improved. There's a lot of in-game experience things from the way that the shot clocks are presented at NBA arenas. Mark Cuban really pushed the NBA forward at a time when they were stagnant in the post-Jordan era. He's very important, big picture to the NBA. To the Mavericks, um, you know, sometimes I wish he'd take a back seat. I think he is a little too involved sometimes. I think we saw that uh, following the... You know, 2011 CBA, where the Mavericks basically considered themselves the smartest people in the room, and that's just not necessary. That was clearly not the case. Um, you know, but I still love Cuban, so you know, it's it's you know, it's a give and take relationship. We've 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 been in this one sided relationship with Mark Cuban for years, so you know, I I, I prefer him to a lot of other NBA owners. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Uh, at Brian Z Nasty asks, what does the perfect Luca KP combo look like as far as play style and their in their respective roles? Ooh. Okay, so I think the answer to this question means coming to grips with what you believe KP could be. And I think that he is going to be a $30 million a year role player. Now, that doesn't mean his role is not important, but in the current NBA, ball handling, uh, guards, and then forward type players are the most important players in the league. Uh, Rim protecting bigs are not as important. The fact that he is a stretch five is hugely important for what Dallas needs, but I'm not really convinced that he is you know, a partner with Luca. He is going to be, you know, the second, the second, maybe third guy one day on the team. He's extremely important to the Mavericks future. I don't want to, you know, mince, I don't want to, you know, accidentally mistake something and, and, and say that he's not important. It's just with the way basketball is played now, his ability and his threat to shoot is almost as important as his actual shooting ability. You can see, you know the way Luca is getting into the into the lane these days is not just because Luca's amazing; it's because of the spacing that the Mavericks provide. So I don't know. You know, outside of being a rim running big who you know can occasionally post up, I'm just not seeing at the moment what his role long term could be, and that is probably going to irritate a lot of people out there who have high hopes for him, who saw him in New York. I just think that in order to get comfortable, Porzingis requires more touches than the Mavericks are going to have for him from a game-in, game-out basis. He's relearning how to play basketball. He's actually getting a lot better about moving without the ball. There was a play against the Kings last night where he flashed after uh, Luca passed to Berea on the wing, and he flashed into the lane, sealed his man, received the pass, and just dunked the life out of the ball. Those sorts of things are impossible to stop if you're if you're playing hard and and he's really Im- impressed me with his uh, you know with his with his drive. I think he's gotten a lot more focused as the season's gone along. But 
Luca's going to be the superstar and everybody else is really going to have to learn how to, how to work with that. So, so it's a long answer for the question. That's, that's really where I'm settling at the moment. At a fake poet asks, what's a bigger problem lobbying for calls by players or the inconsistent calls by officials? I know it's a very chicken or the egg situation. I, I think this is in reference to Luka Doncic last night getting a tech and essentially how he is being refereed. There's a handful of guys, LeBron, Giannis, uh, Harden, Luka is entering and or really has entered the conversation of guys who aren't really possible to ref consistently. You know, with how often these guys have the ball and with how often they drive, they could get a foul call every time. I think what's important for the refs to do is essentially establish some sort of consistent tone early on. The Kings game last night's a really bad example of that. The fact that they only called uh, called fouls for 19 free throws for both teams is pretty bad. The fact that the Mavericks only shot eight free throws is preposterous. Uh, So I would say the inconsistent refing is is probably more of a problem in terms of Luca in specific he mentioned he he seemed to understand after the game that he needs to tone it down he uh sat between the coaches after that after that tech and I think he got really chewed out for the first time that I can remember this year um so you know that's something to watch for but he's got to be careful with that just because you know reputations you know are don't necessarily you know go away once you establish them at the average, Brian asks, "What is the your least popular uh, basketball opinion that you hold?" Ooh, man, do I have unpopular opinions? I can't really think of anything at the moment. Um, I'm really. Uh, this may sound sort of silly. I really love the way basketball is being played right now. There's a constant discussion on NBA social media about what needs to happen for the game to improve or for more people to like the game, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really think that, you know, is something I'm super concerned about, at least in terms of play style. I think the NBA has a little bit of a marketing problem. I think that they need to get people, you know, who are commentating their national games who actually like the sport that would help. I think they need to improve their league pass product. Uh, I also think they need to move away from constantly featuring stars who are past their prime. Uh, Carmelo Anthony is a good example. Like, we get it. Carmelo Anthony's back in the league. That's enough Carmelo Anthony, guys. There's enough young players out there that are really interesting. Let's focus on the next generation of stars. But, you know, long-term take or uh, big hot takes, I just I can't really think of any at the moment. I know that's kind of a lame answer. At Sam, uh, Samitsky asks, what's the favorite trade idea that you makes you think makes good sense, but you know is not feasible that the organization wouldn't do? Oh, gosh. I, I'm i of mixed feelings about Kevin Love. Um, I think he adds a little bit of an offensive element that, you know, the Mavericks would really kind of borderline make them unstoppable if he were to play the role that, uh, you know, Dwight Powell has and, and, you know, could switch off a little bit with Porzingis, but that his contract's too long. He's 31. It's not really something that makes, you know, long-term sense. It's not something they would do. I, I like the idea a little bit, but that's, that's about it at the moment. As I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of the worst person to ask about trade stuff. 
Uh, at uh, Pros Francis asks, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently in free agency? <laughs> oh, guys. Well, for one, I would have paid attention in free agency. I do think that would be a cool thing for the Mavericks to have done. Um, the running gag about you know them going out to dinner with Chris Tapps Porzingis because he was the key to their offseason was... <sighs> Maverick PR speak. Um, they got caught unaware. I am nearly a hundred percent confident of that. I'm not exactly a sources guy, but you know, I have it on pretty good authority that they were, you know, unprepared. So for w the main thing, I think I would have liked for them to do different was to be ready for opening night to make some offers. Um, I know all is well that's in that has ended well, but I think that the ascension of Luka Doncic is really the reason the team is playing so well and that, you know, he does such a good job of lifting everyone else up as the season goes along. I'm going to wonder what, you know, what else was, what else could have worked? You know, were there guys that they were interested in? It seemed like despite such a big free agent pool, they didn't have a broad list, which I'm, if that's the case, I'm really kind of confused why they were touting so much of the space that they had. Um, you know, I'm not particularly concerned with how much, you know, Mark Cuban spends. It's not my money. So I would have liked to have seen, you know, just any sort of, of use of that, that, you know, additional cap space. The fact that Dallas had the opportunity to re-sign guys in a particular order and really go over the cap. I would have liked to have seen that. And I, I'm sure there's some arguments out there that it's important for their cap flexibility, but I, you know, I don't particularly care. Um, I would have liked to have seen just something different. Now I'm really happy with the team that they have. I, I don't necessarily think nothing is really coming to mind of, of who that they should have signed. I think that, you know, at the trade deadline, there, there might be some bodies available that they can move some kind of seventh, eighth, ninth guys around, but I really think they're happy with their top six, top eight guys right now. So it's, it's kind of hard to say what, what would have been better because heck they're, you know, second, third in the West are just, they're, they're playing so well and relative to our expectations it's kind of hard to uh to ask for more at uh race the face asks should the team focus on porzingis improving aspects of his game that are weak such as post up and back to the basket or put him in situations where he flourishes such as catch and shoots and lobs and anything at the basket they have to keep working with him to, to get back at the things that he wants to do. I think intent with what a player wants is very important in the NBA. Um, and a guy like Porzingis likes, you know, some of these mid-range post shots. I think they have to keep doing it. What they can't do is do it at the expense of the offense and or wins. Uh I'm very curious as to where they are organizationally, whether they think this is the time now that they should strike for something or whether they're building down the road. The answer that they would put out publicly is both. But I do believe as the season goes along, if Porzingis is still, you know, sort of ineffective at certain aspects of, uh, of the, the offensive game, the posts, you know, the posting up, which he's just been terrible at, uh, I, I would be, if, if, you know, they're in, you know, third, fourth, fifth, I wouldn't be shocked to see them curtail that sort of stuff as the year goes along, but it, you know, he's, he's a part of their future. So they, they have to figure out kind of a happy medium. I'm fine with a couple of attempts a game. It's when, you know, you get into four five, six possessions, which it feels like they do some games where it's really just gets them out of their flow. I'm not really in love with that. 
Um, but you know, right now they're, they're, you know, I think what they're doing with him is, is really working. The fact that he's playing on a few of these back-to-backs after they said he wasn't is really important. I think his progress, if you're looking at it, you know, I've been told by the rest of Mavs Moneyball staff that what I should do is take the long-term view. What is going to happen next year? So I'm, I'm really kind of splitting the difference with that where I, as long as we see some sort of improvement, you know, over the long course of games, i.e. if he, you know, is moving without the ball better, if he, which he is, like he, he's just making the right kind of, of plays, I think. And I, I've just, I've been really pleased with his, with his, you know, kind of situational progress as the year goes along, even if, you know, some of the shooting numbers don't look fantastic. Uh, okay, I've been holding on to this one for a while. Uh, at Tyler Adams asks, who is your favorite non-Maverick player? Guys, I got a good one. I love Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has been my favorite, but, you know, he was my second favorite player until Luka Doncic came in. And I just, I, I love the guy. He's evolutionary Derek in a lot of ways in terms of his play style. And, you know, he mixes, you know, a little bit of Tracy McGrady. He's just a fascinating guy uh, in terms of play style. He, he, he. If he hadn't, you know, torn his Achilles tendon, I think he, you know, was likely going to go down as the best offensive player of all time. Um, he still might. You never know with with the way you know m- uh, modern medicine works. He he's such a talented, huge player. I know people don't really care for him and his personality, but I find some of those things actually really relatable. You know, he's extremely insecure despite being you know amazing. He's very open. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He talks. So many of these guys don't talk. And they are not honest. And, and, you know, the fact that he, you know, he, he feels differently. He feels he, and he kind of talks about that. He changes what he, he, you know, if you listen to Bill Simmons podcasts with him over the last two to three years, he kind of slowly delved into madness. And as you know, kind of sad as that was, it was also really incredible. in the fact that a guy who's that accomplished is still, you know, he's still unhappy with aspects of things. And, and that's, you know, he's just a guy that I really like. Um, all right, got a few more questions. Um, Patrick Engineer asks, you know, me to talk a little bit about, you know, the Luca and Trey discussion, kind of the constant, you know, subtweeting, complaining from aspects of new basketball media. There's not really anybody in terms of uh, old school media, ESPN, CBS, that sort of thing. Who, who are like this, it's mainly guys that are kind of, you know, NBA influencers who really just love to kind of hate on Luca and, you know, compare Trey. I just think it's really unfortunate. Um, I kind of, I will make fun of the marketing of Trey now and then, but what he's doing is super fascinating. There just aren't guys like this in the league. And if Luca didn't exist, Trey would just be a superstar. So I don't want to bring the guy down. I think that's a little bit boring. Um, I also think he's just fun to watch. I can't wait for the Mavericks to play the Hawks. I mean, the Mavericks should win, but you know, the two games they played last year were just outstanding. So I'm looking forward to that. But as far as kind of the hate and the randomness of, of, and like the borderline xenophobia from some of the people who talk about this stuff, it's really sad. Um, there's, that's, that's basically the main thing about it. Uh, I think I, I can't help but get mixed up in it sometimes because I'm a bit of a, uh, stirrer of the pot, but, uh, you know, most of us should just, you know, rise above it and tend to ignore it. 
a couple more non-basketball related stuff and then we'll we'll get all out of here uh at america's tweets asks prequels or sequels there is a correct answer well i'm 35 uh for me the answer is is uh oh gosh you when you say prequels and sequels you mean the new movies that are coming out right now or the movies from the 2000s episodes one through three. Oh gosh I mean, I'm such an originalist because I grew up on, you know, episodes four, five, and six. We had a bootleg uh, VHS of Return of the Jedi that I probably watched 200 times as a kid. So that's really where my heart is. Um, I do like The Force Awakens. I also really like um, the most recent movie, but I don't think, I think it's a fun movie, but not a great Star Wars movie because it just tends to ignore how you know things work within the universe and that's you know that sort of stuff bothers me because i really like world building so i i would say that it's the the most current movies i've liked them more just because some of the filmmaking and the dialogue and the prequels are so god-awful that it hurts a lot of those movies even though all the stuff with with palpatine is incredible and gets better with each uh, watching particularly when you know kind of what's coming it's just really fun to watch that actor who's a, a really famous stage actor kind of chew on the scenery so that's a lot of fun and then last uh the mcswag also asks me is the mandalorian too reliant on baby yoda his usage worries me <clears throat> no baby yoda is delightful and not uh you know the way those episodes are my only complaint with that is that there aren't more of those episodes uh, of the mandalorian because it's a lot of fun if you guys aren't watching it you should okay we'll see if uh we're gonna have any more podcasts before you know the uh the mavericks play on thursday hope to maybe get one more out here just because there's a lot to talk about with the mavericks these days uh as always you know rate review subscribe let us know how we're doing we really appreciate all of the support This has been a mailbag edition of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. Everybody have a good day.